Uh, I'm sure getting to a nine-figure valuation is not easy, um, but I'm sure there were a lot of challenges that maybe you didn't even see sure. coming. Like what it takes to build this and yeah. why you felt that there was a gap. We started working on it and we thought that it was gonna be a really small passive side business. And we were like, okay, we're gonna make this app. We're gonna put it on the app store and maybe we'll each make like $3,000 a month. Pay but, rent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we launched it, we saw adoption and we saw inbound people who wanted to pay us to use this software. You know, I'm very grateful for what we've been able to build and for our customers and I'm not, I'm not complaining, but I will say, if we knew how hard SMS was, we probably would never have started it. He may not be an actual D2C operator, but he's built a 100% remote D2C SaaS company. And they raised $106 million last year and is now the world's biggest SMS platform. Alex is a killer when it comes to hiring, processes, business operations, and of course, retention strategies. So if you're interested in learning more about that, then you've chosen the right episode to listen to. So let's get right into it. We have someone pretty special because it's our first guest that's not a brand owner. It's a SaaS founder. And uh, we have Alex Beller, president and co-founder of Postscript. If you haven't heard of Postscript, you might be doing SMS completely wrong, first of all. <laughs> um, but second of all, um, we've been using this platform for Obvi um, for the history of the company, and it's been an incredible tool for us. And so we're here to bring Alex Beller to talk about how he's built Postscript, some of the challenges he's facing, and what he's doing next with Postscript. So Alex, thank you. Well, guys, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Awesome. So I think for those who don't know you, just give us mm -hmm. the quick one minute elevator pitch. Who are you? What you do? Yeah. And yeah, all that good stuff. So I'm Alex Beller. Uh, I am the co-founder of Postscript. Uh, Postscript is, as, as Ron said, the uh, leading SMS platform for brands on Shopify. It's the only thing we do. We have over 10,000 customers. And what I do there, I'm one of three co-founders and I focus on two different parts of our business. So where I spend most of my time is on what we call go-to-market, which is leading sales, customer success, marketing, partnerships, you know, ops, everything customer-facing. And then I also oversee, which is something I care a lot about, but it's behind the scenes, uh, I also oversee recruiting and HR, like just our talent strategy. And so that's my focus. Um, and we've been doing it for four and a half years. That's awesome. So. In an era where we're seeing um, rising costs for advertising, mm -hmm. you know, the I think a lot of people turn to al not alternate, but like just supplementary channels, right? Where it's email or SMS. Sure. So for brands that are just starting, right? And it, this answer is going to be different for existing, but for brands that are just starting, right? What do you suggest these brands do when they first start thinking about SMS? What are sure. like the top three things that a new business owner needs to nail mm -hmm. in SMS? Sure. So it's a good question because there's definitely like levels to it, right? Um, and in the foundation, I think about three things. The first is starting to build a list, right? Uh, you need an aggressive list growth strategy, especially if you're just starting off, because even though the yield from SMS on a per subscriber basis is really high, people tend to start with really small lists, right? People have been building email lists for decades and a lot of brands just don't have an SMS asset. So you need an aggressive list growth strategy. That means on-site pop-ups, that means checkout collection, hopefully that means some other things in addition, but that's the foundation, right? Um, additionally, you need baseline marketing, right? 
you want to have a conversation welcome series, you want to have key flows, browse abandon, abandon cart, post-purchase win back, uh, shipping notifications, things like that, right? And the third thing that I would recommend brands start with is figuring out their brand voice on text and figuring out the cadence with which they can message their audience. And so this is probably something we'll talk more about, but we believe very strongly in a framework called Subscriber LTV, which is essentially finding the like right balance of how often you can speak to your customers to keep them engaged, but not annoy them. And finding that sweet spot is different for every brand and finding the right voice is different for every brand, finding the right mix of like promotional versus content versus educational is different for every brand. And so those are the three things I would say to start with. Start building a list, set up the basic money-making marketing automations and start tuning and experimenting with brand voice. So there's a lot of uh, growth marketers that that listen to the podcast and yeah. um, you know, when it comes to performance marketing, and, you know, even even us, when we're sending traffic from, you know, Meta or TikTok to our website, it's directly on landing pages, mm -hmm. right? So one of the biggest challenges that we face as a brand is how do you find that balance between trying to go straight for that conversion without any like interruptions, but also trying to grow that list that you're talking about, mm -hmm. right? How can brands strike a balance between conversion rate and growing a list that will, you know, later down the line help LTV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it probably varies by brand and also by like landing page and product and SKU, right? Um, so I don't wanna shrug off your question because it's a good one, but we see the best practices and performance tend to vary across the board. Some brands, um, they're selling like a really high AOV item and it requires a ton of education or it requires the user to like sit in that purchase, right? There's a brand that I saw recently that sells like $3,000 pizza ovens. And these things look beautiful. And they're really, really nice. And like, if I didn't live in a New York City apartment, <laughs> I, might, I, yeah, I might be interested 100%. in one. Is that something that someone is gonna impulse buy? Probably not. Right. Prioritizing getting a piece of remarketing information so you don't have to keep paying meta, but you can bring them back and slowly drip content out to them and educate them and drive them towards a conversion over time. That's like a no brainer. Something that is more impulse based or that you're seeing like a high land and convert conversion rate on. Um, maybe you'll want to like delay throwing a pop up. Maybe you want to let people sit on site for a while. Maybe you want to focus on exit intent instead. So I think it probably varies, but I think that that, um, especially as we've seen just the rise of like landing page tactics versus pushing to PDPs, um, I don't think that that's a bad framing. And I think that brands probably shouldn't just assume that like they should have a pop-up fire two seconds after a user right. lands on every single page. That's right. not nuanced enough. Right. I think one of the best use cases that we've seen, right, where we're like, okay, one, we don't want to hurt conversion rate. Yeah. Two, we don't want to give up the data. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest uh, tools that we started to use was a quiz, right? So from ad to landing page, that landing page being a quiz, mm -hmm. you kind of take them down this like entire funnel, five, six questions, and then, hey, before we give you results, mm -hmm. drop your phone number, right? Yep. So I think there's definitely ways to to do it. And I think that's probably like, I think we were getting like a thousand phone numbers a day just by doing that. Sure. And so, you know, the, the lasting effects of that, like you said, is just bringing these people down this funnel. And it's a lot easier to get to them because it's like, boom, text message, I'm gonna open that. That's, you know? that's also killer because in that use case of using a quiz, 
you can put them down a personalized flow, yeah. right? They can not just be kicked into a welcome, but like based on their results or based on information you captured in the flow and the, whatever their result was can be then associated with that subscriber. So that can be like segmented out. That could be a sub list that you then market to differently. And that is like obviously gonna work much better because you've already captured information from them. Yeah. Um, in general, we're seeing a rise of the more advanced marketers on SMS really lean into zero party data collection even doing it natively in thread or having people like route their way through flows just because if you're going to have this like really high engagement channel you want to use whatever information you can get to increase the relevance so for those who are like zero party data what would you define as zero party data so there is a definition on like salesforce.com or something like that <laughs> uh, but whenever i google it salesforce just has that seo dialed in nailed it um <laughs> Uh, I, I think of zero-party data as information about the user or subscriber submitted by them and captured by them. So it's not data that you're like paying for access to and aggregating in some way. It is, I'm Alex Beller, I've landed on the Obvi site, and I'm filling out a quiz, and I decide to like put in my phone number along with like what my preferences are or information about me. Right. No, that's a... I think a perfect definition. I think in the a real world example is like some of these pop-ups, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're starting to see this a lot more and more and even we have to test this, but instead of just, hey, here's a 15% off, drop your phone number. It's, hey, do you want a discount? Oh, by the way, what are you really interested? Are mm -hmm. you really interested in hair, skin or nails? Yep. They select, you know, hair, drop their phone number. And then again, like you said, put them through this flow of hair related content. Yes. You know, so. That's that's so much more relevant. That's also such a better like user experience. experience. Yeah. It really is. And like what we see, and this is why we've been pushing the conversational stuff for so long, is just as a means to make the messages more personalized. What we see is that when content like that's adopted, unsubscribe rates go down, click rates go up. It's like the obvious stuff you would expect when messages are more relevant. Yeah. So I mean, speaking because you just you just said it, unsubscribe rates, right? Mm -hmm. um, linking that back to what you said previously, which is what is that? the cadence, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you're sending out messages, you know, originally people are going through this flow. Um, what do you think brands should be doing? Like, should they be hitting up people once a day? Sure. Should they every other day, like okay. a couple times a week? Like, I have a lot to say on this topic. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so um, the disclaimer here is that, of course, it varies by brand because different brands have different things to say. Um, if you are a single SKU, product and there's no like repeat purchase capacity, then how much are you really going to like market to them to get them to buy this one thing, right? There's right. just not that much you can talk about. If you have a more mapped out customer journey with potential complementary products and lots of education and you have a brand voice that lets you lean to community building and all kinds of stuff like that, there's so much more messaging that you can do. Um, so it, it, it varies broadly. Um, we also, I will get to the meat of this, we also play around with the idea of click habits. This is something our team has started playing around with and working on where can you build a like click habit with an audience over text? And we say this because there are brands, for example, who use Postscript who drop like a new t-shirt each day. They send a new text every single day. Being on the receiving end of that is a lot. Right. right. But their unsubscribe rates are extremely low, way lower than you think. And the reason is because people have opted into that. Right. They've opted into the idea of, I want to see the thing you put out every single day. Right. And so 
they're not being over-marketed to, which was counterintuitive. When I first started seeing this use case of the daily text, I was like, that's yeah. crazy. You're going to burn through your list and your asset and like, that makes no sense. But they set expectations up front, not only probably in their pop-ups, but also like with what their brand is. And then also in the first couple messages of like, we're going to give you first look at our new thing every single day. And unsubscribe rates are incredibly low. And so that just goes to show that like, it isn't a one size fits all approach and has a lot to do with how the brand merchandises, what their voice is. Um, but the framework that we suggest people utilize for this, the actual like numbers driven framework is subscriber LTV. And essentially what, what that is, is it's, we built this up over time because what we saw is some people were over marketing, mm -hmm. right? And they were just doing full list sends three, four times a week. Results were declining, unsubscribe rates were up. Uh, and then we also saw people undersending right, who were nervous about annoying their subscribers. And so what they did is they were like, turn on automations, but they wouldn't ever send campaigns. Right. We were like, okay, we need to give people a way to find the middle ground. And so with subscriber LTV, what it essentially is, is it's embracing the idea that each new subscriber you capture is worth a certain amount of money. And if you drive that value up, it's good. And if you drive it down, it's bad. And there's a bunch of inputs into that. There's how much revenue you generate per message sent. There is how many messages you're sending per month. And there's your unsubscribe rate. And so subscriber LTV, it's a standard LTV, LTV calculation that we built out into our dashboards where people can see, is their subscriber LTV moving up and down based on what they're sending? Mm -hmm. And then they can, for example, if unsubscribe rates peaking, they mm -hmm. can pull back on messages. Or if unsubscribe rates low and revenue per message is really high, send more, mm -hmm. right? And so it's a little bit of a moving target on a brand by brand ba basis, but that's the framework that we recommend. I guess when you are sending out messaging, right? Like even mm -hmm. for us, we're sending out, um, we have a new blog or a new yeah. recipe and then obviously promotional. How does that subscriber LTV account for more of like the educational stuff that isn't yeah. really meant to push sales, but more value mm -hmm. um, versus like obviously send out a sale and money comes in? So the beauty of it is it is a financial metric. So it includes those. It includes the fact that because you sent out educational texts, which you should, by the way, unsubscribe rates are lower because educational texts have lower unsubscribe rates. Transactional yeah. messages like shipping notifications have really Makes low sense. unsubscribe rates, but the revenue per message generated for them is also lower. Mm -hmm. And so it should help you all balance that where like we believe firmly in transactional messaging. We believe firmly in uh, educational messaging because if you send out a notice when someone's package is shipped and when it's sitting on their door and then a week later ask them if they had any questions, no one unsubscribes from those. And it for the end user, they interpret it as less of a marketing channel, more of a communication with the brand, they stay around longer. So those are still good to send out and it should show up in the overall value of a subscriber. Love it. So I think, I think some things that are super fascinating to me mm -hmm. is um, how people build in SaaS. Yeah. And, and to take this like more on like how you built PostScript, right? Sure. Um, First of all, there is thousands of skincare brands. There's thousands of home good brands. There's thousands of every different category brands. Mm -hmm. There's not thousands of SMS platforms. No. Okay. Though sometimes it can feel like yeah, that. Yeah, it can feel like that. Yeah. Um, and so obviously there is clearly a a barrier to entry and cost sure. to build. Sure. Um, and, and I think we as brand founders, at least me personally, often takes these take these tools. For granted 
Right? Sure. Like, oh, what do I got to use for SMS? Well, I'm just going to price shop and use something. Sure. Um, and you forget that someone built this. Yeah. Right. And we and we're using it as a tool mm -hmm. um, that is increasing revenue for us. Um, you know, tenfold. But when you go into looking into like, like why why did you build an SMS platform, and what it, did it really take over these sure. course of four years? And you know. Uh, I'm sure getting to a nine-figure valuation is not easy, um, but I'm sure there were a lot of challenges that maybe you didn't even see sure. coming. Um, so just to, even for us founders and, and and the people watching, just to like give us a sense of like what it takes to build this and yeah. why you felt that there was a gap. Sure. I appreciate the empathy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's rare to get. Uh, I often like to joke that in our space, in terms of like the status pyramid, there's like consumers, then there's brand operators, yeah. then there's agencies, and then there's SaaS, just in terms of who beats up on who, um, which is as it should be, I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but it's also great when we get to beat up on one of our vendors, <laughs> this rarely happens. Um, so we started Postscript. I have two co-founders, Adam and Colin, uh, they're brothers. Um, I'm, the, I'm the lone yeah. non-turner. and. Uh, we started Postscript for a couple of reasons. Um, so Adam and I, I got to know him because we were working together in e-commerce on the brand side of things. Uh, we were running an e-commerce business. Um, we, were, we were part of it. We weren't in charge of it. Uh, and Adam was just a really, really talented, self-taught technical operator. He's a data analyst, product manager, engineer. Um, and him and his brother had tried some things and uh, tried to start some businesses. They had one really interesting mobile gaming company. Um, didn't work out. And... Uh, Adam and I were working in e-com together and we saw the opportunity in our business where email engagement was plateauing and mobile traffic was increasing every year. And at the same time, a friend of Adam's said to us, uh, he brought up like, hey, you know, he was building a brand on Shopify and he was like, I can't text my customers. Like, it's frustrating. I like need a tool to be able to text my customers. And that was just a kind of classic entrepreneurial light bulb of like someone willing to pay for a solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. And this was before there was, you know, a yeah. million, a million yeah. SMS platforms. <laughs> and, uh, and so Adam and Colin had like started to experiment with the idea of starting up a new company. And this idea came out and three of us got together and uh, we started working on it. And we thought that it was gonna be a really small passive side business because we didn't know the Shopify ecosystem. And this was a little early, but yeah. we just weren't familiar with it. And we were like, okay, we're gonna make this app. We're gonna put it on the app store and maybe we'll each make like $3,000 a month on yeah. the side. And it'll be beautiful. And we'll be really proud of it. Pay but, rent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we launched it and we were still full-time at our other jobs, but just really quickly we saw adoption and we saw inbound people who wanted to pay us to use this software. And so that was validating and it's just, it's been the path. As far as what it's taken to build it, I think that, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for what we've been able to build and for our customers. And I'm not, I'm not complaining, but I will say, if we knew how hard SMS was, we probably would never have started it. Yeah. Like the compliance mm -hmm. landscape is incredibly intense and complex. Yeah. The deliverability landscape is really complex. Like SMS is a technology from the 90s. It's cell towers. It's not like hyper-modern APIs and right, stuff like that. Right. And so, you know, and you end up working with the telephone carriers, Verizon and T-Mobile and people like that, yeah. you know, and their focus of their businesses is selling each of us $90 a month cell phone plans. It's not like innovating and modernizing B2C 
messaging. Right. And so with that comes all kinds of tech and compliance and legal hurdles, which we just naively didn't know when you start mm -hmm. a business, right? Yeah. You guys, I'm sure there's a yeah, great yeah, example from Robbie of like yeah. the stuff you didn't know. And so it's been a slog on that front, but a really fun one. And I think that the three of us really enjoy the craft of building a company and the slog of building a company and can, can we curse? Yeah. <laughs> and all the shit you have to eat. <laughs> and, uh, and so, it, yeah, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into in terms of both scale, community, or tech. Yeah. But it's been a grind, but it's been good. And also, also I'll say, if something's hard, being good at it becomes even more valuable. Yeah. And so yeah, there well is said. like a, there's a reward that's come from us getting really good at something that's not easy. Yeah. I think, um, uh, first of all, well, well said on that last line, especially, um, you know, going into, so, you know, you, you get the idea, you start building, see that there's a demand. Um, now you have this landscape of, okay, clearly there was a shift in like, guys, this is serious. We yeah. got to focus on this. And you have some of your players coming up, right? Sure. Like your, you have your Clavio, your Retentive sure. and Live Recover. There's, you know, sure. uh, numerous of these ones. Um, and this kind of reminds me a landscape of, and, and again, trying to analogize this, but like there's multiple collagen brands. Sure. Okay. And at the core of it, all of the collagens are solving pretty much the same problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is hair, skin, nails. Yeah. Okay. Um, and at the core of probably most of the SMS platforms mm -hmm. when they first started was to give brands and founders and stores the ability to contact sell, transactionally yeah. educate totally. customers. And so what I find really cool is, is like, there is obviously the, the separation elements beyond that become the brand. So Postscript versus an Attentive or a Clavio, mm -hmm. the people behind the brand, um, then your offerings, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd love to kind of understand the construct of that because, sure. um, you know, what, what does Postscript even mean? Right, um, the 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 branding is so playful, mm -hmm. right? And it's per, like there's again we take it for granted that these SaaS companies like oh yeah there's a bunch of tech and engineers yeah. just building this thing and it's like no there's branding involved in this there's totally innovation involved in this like the fact that you guys are going to SMS sales I mean um, the fact that you even offer um, the the Postscript Plus mm -hmm. program like those are those are pieces that are your products. Right. And yes. so like would love to understand the construct of now separation. I've never been asked about this stuff. Uh, I love unsexy moats. I think that there's uh, a ton of dialogue for good reason um, about building businesses with moats and building businesses that are defensible. And a lot of that will come down to people looking for, um, you know, patent advantages or or network effects or tech advantages, right? Things that like, things that like can't be overcome. What no one wants to admit at this is that those are few and far between. Like even Facebook, even Facebook, there's been a bunch of other successful social media platforms yeah. stand up. People thought that they had the ultimate network effects that no one would ever be able to best them. But like, I mean, they bought Instagram, but Instagram was super successful and Snapchat's been successful and TikTok's successful, like true, like monopoly level moats are very rare. And um, so you have to get excited about building unsexy moats. People, culture, brand, strategy, all of those things, if someone can send a text message 
that goes through on using five different tools, then why are they going to pick PostScript, right? And so like these unsexy moats that require like a people advantage or an operational advantage, uh, I think folks don't get excited about building them, but I think that they're is a ton of value there that compounds over time. And it requires like immense focus and immense intentionality, but it's something that we talk a lot about and we tried to, we've tried to lean into and be good at. Like in our mind, um, you know, we compete with really good companies. Uh, and I tend to think it's been good for PostScript, to be honest. Like yep. uh, my, my co-founder, Colin, he likes to say that um, even though, you know, we've competed with a tenant for a long time, for example, right? And we have a ton of respect for like, how good of like business builders they are, um, they've probably pushed PostScript to grow faster than they would have if we had no competitors. Just because we've had to push one another to innovate, and we've had to push one another to grow and compete, and that's probably that's like to look at it. healthy and good. Um, so that's a little bit about about you know us versus the other players. But how we think about our positioning in the space is. This channel is super early, like we were talking about. There's still a huge amount of brands who've never done it. It's already working and it's super early. It's already working and people's SMS list is tiny compared to their email list. Mm -hmm. So if you think two years, five years, 10 years out, and if you just follow the trends of continued increase in mobile traffic, continued plateau of email, SMS could very well, okay. two, four, five, 10 years from now, be vastly the larger channel. Right. And so as a smaller organization without a big legacy business, I want to skate to where the puck is going. I want PostScript to be the absolute best in class when it comes to SMS in terms of the tech, in terms of deliverability and compliance, which I think that we are, in terms of, when I say the tech, I mean like, you know the core like marketing tech, yeah. mm -hmm. in terms of deliverability and compliance, which is really important and valuable in the space, in terms of strategy that we recommend brands use, and in terms of like our team. and. Some brands will still say, you know what? We want an all-in-one tool, especially smaller brands. That's great, I wish them well. Right. But if a brand wants to maximize revenue from the channel, I want them to buy into the fact that there's only one option and that's PostScript. Okay. And it's because of all those reasons I just listed. And so that's how we really like, that's how we, that's what we push ourselves to do. Our mission is to make SMS the number one revenue channel, which is lofty. That's that's like why we focus on it. That's why we're not going to launch email. That's why we're not going to like branch into other channels focused. because the whole organization needs to be focused on like helping brands maximize this. And I, I think, and what we've seen, especially over the last six months to a year is that all those things compound and we're getting pulled from the market over it because especially in the post, you know, iOS days, people are looking for every leg up they can get. What's your guys' end goal, whether it's the three of you together or just mm -hmm. you personally? Um, where where does where do you see PostScript going? And 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 is this like, hey, I'm passing this down to uh, junior bellers, yeah. or is this like, uh, um, you know, we wanna we wanna sell this, we wanna make money, mm -hmm. but also you know create impact and then work on something next? Sure. I don't have the exact answer yet. I have some ideas. Uh, and it changes and shifts over time. One of the favorite things in my life is building PostScript with Adam and Colin. We have such a good partnership. We have so much fun. Three of us are, you know, we're almost five years in, we run the business together. And like, uh, I'm not looking for an off-ramp from that. I really like our customers. I really like our team. I like my job. I like working with Adam and Colin. And so I'm not, 
I'm not trying to hit escape. Mm. Uh, I like the challenge of trying to build something really big against huge, better funded competitors. Our customers, they aren't just gonna like pay way more to work with Postscript, right? right? Like right. I like the challenge of all that. Yeah. And so we, we aren't in a rush to exit. We are urgently trying to build something big. And in our space where we're selling to ROI focused marketers, the way to do that is by showing value. So like, I think that we have a long road in front of us. I think that we feel it's very early for SMS, right? Just like we just launched this, this SMS sales product. We think it's super early days for the channel. And so we hope to be building Postscript for many years to come. Along the way, would I like to exit and make some money off this? Absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I think I wanna do that for everyone on the Postscript team, for our investors, of course. But we're thinking pretty long-term right now. And uh, speaking for the three of us, we feel like we've got a lot left in the tank. So recently, um, I, I found this brand, um, kind of a competitor to ours. You know, <laughs> doing a little, you know, market research. Yeah, got um, it. And they're doing something really cool with SMS, which is running ads, just your normal standard performance, you know, UGC style ads. Instead of going to a landing page mm -hmm. with the offer, et cetera, et cetera, they literally send you back to your messages app, sure. where it's like send this message to unlock the deal. Sure send the message, then the message comes back with, mm -hmm. with the, the link to the offer. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. I haven't seen that be mm -hmm. done before. So mm -hmm. I'm curious how are brands using SMS in a way that people just aren't thinking about? Sure. That's a good one. It's rare, but we see people run ads directly, directly into text sometimes. Um, other really unique use cases. Okay, here's a, here's a favorite. <laughs> Do you guys know Chisos Boots? Yeah. Yeah? Seen it. Yeah. Um, I met their founder, Will, at a conference. He's a character. <laughs> and uh, I really like him. And he, uh, they're like a, they're a really, really high-end cowboy boot brand. And all the boots are hand cobbled in Mexico by these like artisans. And they do small batches. They do like 4,000 a year. And like, that's it, right? Maybe next year they'll do 6,000. They're really, tr he's trying to grow slow. And he's so obsessed with uh, talking to his customers and keeping it like small and personal that he has hacked together his own SMS solution <laughs> uh, because he cares so much that when people call their shop, that's also the phone number that like people can just text. text in and all the texts route to his phone so that he answers people's questions and helps people buy and like takes takes care of people personally. Wow. Now I know that's not the like scaled marketing tactic you were asking for, right. but that is like yeah. a super unique approach yeah. and that is an incredible like point of inspiration that fueled our SMS sales product, yeah. which is like he's seeing amazing results by actually helping people navigate the website and buy. Yeah. Um, so I see people doing a lot of interesting stuff on the list building side of things. I see people utilize email to grow their SMS list. Not many brands are doing this, but it works super well. So you can, using the Postscript Clavio integration, you can uh, essentially add a parameter so that anyone who's not opted into SMS gets shown a dynamic field in all the emails going out, probably towards like the bottom, like an email footer, and just a CTA, whether it's like a one-click opt-in or whether it's just a text this to this, that will just passively pick up SMS subscribers over time. It's real estate that's just sitting there to use. And once they opt in, it won't show them that dynamic field anymore. We also see people using QR codes in inserts or in retail mm. to just scan to opt in, to try to get people drafted off those assets into their SMS list. 
Uh, and we also see, we're seeing a big groundswell right now. And I know this isn't rocket science, but people haven't really done back in stock via SMS before. And we're starting to see brands really lean into our back in stock tooling to, just as like passive list building, because why not? Yeah. And if you want, if I'm interested in a back in stock product, text is probably the best way to deliver that message. Like right away, get it, Dang. open rates are super high. So those are all like list building stuff we're seeing that are not widely adopted, but work really well. Um, some other interesting use cases, there's a brand um, that sends out a lot of jokes <laughs> and then their team like responds to all the responses. <laughs> that fosters a ton of community and their like unsubscribe rates are super low. Yeah, that's funny actually. Yeah. Why, like, why wouldn't you automate that? <laughs> like, knock, knock jokes. Yeah. I feel like you could just automate that. They they do, they do like, the first big campaign that way, but then they, yeah. like, play in the comments with people as, uh, as okay, folks okay, respond okay. back. Like, actually yeah. respond. Yeah, yeah. and they just view it as, like, yeah. they're, like, these people are never going to unsubscribe after yeah. this. Like, they'll hang around forever. Yeah. I feel like the responses section is super underrated mm -hmm. in, the, in, in, like, just the SMS arena. Totally. It's, it's, it feels like you often go to... Uh, Clavio or or a postscript for email or SMS, and you'll go there to get the job done, which sure. is campaigning. Yeah. Um, and unless you have dedicated people managing the platforms, mm -hmm. like for us, Lisa and Kara are amazing through Postscript mm -hmm. Plus, like just constantly thinking about things. But because if if you don't have that though, it's like, well, I don't know how much time I'm going to spend here because it's almost like, is this almost customer service? Sure. Is this almost like totally. you know, managing that? And like, does it fall under something else? But technically can probably fall just as much under retention or maybe even acquisition, yeah. depending on the, the type of subscriber. I think because it's such a high intent channel. Yeah. And like, look, there's going to be noise in there. There's people who are like texting and driving and like, <laughs> just like text you back. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's like noise that comes through, but there's also a lot of like people who need help. Yeah. Or there's a lot of people who like haven't bought yet that yeah. are maybe interested. And the opportunity to have a live back and forth with one of your yeah. potential customers is a pretty rare thing in e-commerce. Yeah. What's your thoughts on 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 just want to talk about cost for a second? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. um, I think I think even as we've as you've seen rising costs of acquisition and CAC just going up, people have been obviously all of a sudden been like retention's everything for mm -hmm. me retention's everything for me and then you start looking at retention you're like wait there's also rising costs and retention in some capacity yeah. right because this is not cheap it's not cheap um and then you have platforms let's say like a tap cart that's saying sure. hey get this get this app on your phone yeah free push notifications right and so when you're looking at you know it's i don't think it they're i don't think they're comp competitive channels they're more like again supplementary and then they yeah. work together um but like how do you kind of battle that cost piece um, when it comes to you know explaining to? I, I think the subscriber LTV is a huge mm -hmm. part of the huge argument of of it. But like when you're looking at people are getting ways of doing retention in a more cost effective way, like building a community, yeah, getting an app, this and that. How, totally. Are those are those competitors in or in, yeah. in your in your in your mind, or how do you look at those? I don't think they're competitors, but uh, I think they're important. So let's talk about push. I think that once brands reach like a certain scale, they should probably like have an app and be doing push because it's so much more cost effective to your point for marketing messages. Uh, I view it as non-competitive for a couple reasons. One, the reach is different. I think that like 
the amount of total people who come to the Obvi site who would sign up for SMS, it's probably like a pretty big percentage. Yeah. The amount who are so loyal and engaged with the brand that they'll download the app, it's probably like a smaller group. And that's a really valuable group who you wanna be able to go and talk to a lot for you know for practically for free with push. But I think that what we see is that for most brands, out of all the traffic to their site, people aren't gonna download an app just because they don't have that like yeah. super deep affinity with the brand. Right. A percentage will, but not this huge reach. Whereas SMS, it's a much more like socialized thing where like a, a consumer might be on a whole bunch of different brands textless. And so I think it's probably easier to get the opt-in than the download. Um, and that's why I view them as not really competitive. Then there's the other piece where push is a push-based marketing channel, similar to email where text messaging, especially with the fact that it's not cheap, it's only gonna become more conversational over time mm -hmm. because that's how messages get more and more targeted and that's what keeps subscribers from unsubscribing and from that's buying more. So between the back and forth and sort of like the different reaches, that's how I view them as not competitive. I think they're both pretty valuable. As far as text goes, I would love to get see it get cheaper. I'm not sure that that's imminent. Uh, you know, the thing with text is there's hard costs for us and for all the players. We okay. go and we pay Verizon and T-Mobile and, and all those folks. And I don't necessarily get the sense that like that the, that the telecom providers are like really focused on like driving costs down with SMS. So I don't know what will happen. I hope that costs slowly get incrementally cheaper over time, but I'm not necessarily expecting the bottom to like fall out and for it to become free. Two things you said there. <clears throat> coming off on this, right? Do you think there's a future possibility that we move from SMS to like iMessage or yeah. like WhatsApp, Yeah, you know? So uh, it's a great question. So for people who want to geek out on SMS, if you want to geek out, <laughs> if you want me to tell you how this stuff works. So SMS is a cell tower. Uh, iMessage and WhatsApp and all those, that's data, that's like, LTE or 5G, right. and they're different technologies. Um, <laughs> you two are like, <laughs> everyone's just immediately, everyone's immediately like, I had no idea. idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's the case. And so uh, they're different technologies. Um, data is very cheap compared to going through a cell tower and like sending an SMS. Right. Um, so, or, but SMS is an open protocol. No one owns SMS. Yeah. iMessage is owned and controlled by Apple. WhatsApp is owned and controlled by Meta. And that means that they set the rules. That means that they can restrict certain use cases. That means that they can impose tolls or, or whatever they want to. And if you guys remember from like the Facebook Messenger days, right, that tends to make brand operators a little, a little nervous <laughs> if they don't actually own like the pipes and the access yeah, and all right. that, if the rules <laughs> right. can change. And so with SMS, the rules aren't gonna change because it's this open protocol like email, right. but the costs are higher because it's not a data protocol. So that's the background. That's the background of SMS. <laughs> uh, so to, to answer your question clips, though, huh? um, there is potential for new channels to open up. So like iMessage today uh, does not allow like marketing use cases, mm -hmm. right? So that would kind of like defeat the purpose for a brand to try to use it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, WhatsApp has like similar restrictions today. Uh, I think that there's a chance that 
over time that shifts. There's also a chance that the telephone companies get together and they roll out a data protocol that's like way more open and programmable and would let us do all kinds of cool stuff in message, mm. um, like much more dynamic, just right. like how iMessage, you can throw reactions, but you can't over text. Right. So there's the potential for that. I don't think anything is super imminent. And I think we'd probably know a long time before it was coming just because it would take those organizations getting together. But uh, absolutely, when I think about international and the reach of WhatsApp internationally, that's something that you know is really interesting for us. Um, and hopefully over time it opens up and that could potentially bring the cost down a lot. Yeah, I mean, like half of, if not more than half of America is using an iPhone. You yeah, know? totally. Yeah. So it's interesting that you you say like push and SMS, like they can run parallel to each other, right? Yeah. And to your point, right, you're not going to come to some brand's website and instantly download their app, no. right? So I think what we've done really well is using each channel to help boost the efficiency for other channels, right? Sure. So when I say that is post-purchase, you know, people, you know, they they leave their their phone number in checkout or their email or whatever it is. Um, that post-purchase flow for us is always, how do we get all these people into the different channels that we own, right? Mm. Which is our Facebook community and our app, right? I love that. So, you know, you get your, you put your order in, the next day you get a, a shipment confirmation, a couple of days later, delivery confirmation, you're on the way, right? You're using Avi. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, hey, we want more tips and tricks. Join the Facebook group, right? Yeah. Send a text, boom, you're in the group. A couple of days later, hey, we have some really cool recipes that you can use your collagen with, download the app, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's where you start building that affinity for the brand where if somebody's downloading your app, you know that they're they're into the brand. That and and what you said is you can start having multiple conversations with that person, right? And I think that's where push notification can be a really solid like use case where every day we're sending out like a motivational message, right? On SMS, it, it could be costly to send, you know, sure. something like that every single day. Absolutely. But for our VIP customers, it's like, hey, like you're doing great. Yeah. Keep going. Hey, reminder to drink water, whatever it is. Oh, by the way, we brought back something, you know? And I think that's where it's like, to your yeah. point, it could be so parallel, but it could complement each other very well I, too. I love that. I think that that's like an awesome use case and customer journey that gives people multiple touch points to like opt into something deeper. And also it's honoring the truth of the matter, which is like, if a brand were to pick between push and SMS and only do one, they'd be leaving money on the table. Right. Yeah. Like they should probably be true. doing both. Yeah. You know, I think uh, last week, it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, uh, we attended an event, a yes. post event, um, which was, and I'm not even trying to blow smoke, but we literally after the dinner, um, we have a group chat with a bunch of D2C founders and me, Nick, Sharma, Ash, Cody, we're all in it. and. Um, we said, um, you know, we've attended a lot of dinners, we've attended a lot of events, and many of them have an objective to sell you something, right? But um, this was the first one where we felt like we wanted something. Um, All right. And to walk away <laughs> with that, and, and I'd love for you to maybe talk a few minutes about what is it that we wanted, we signed sure. up for, and it's called SMS sales, right? Yes. Um, and I think one piece is, is like, I think the way that you guys are thinking about taking stuff off of our plate that sure. we're not even getting to, which is, I think, extremely important for, for just brands and platforms to think about sure. together. So love yeah. to hear about that. 
I would talk about, yeah, I know you like thinking about like also the like system behind the system yeah. of this kind of thing, which you could talk about. So um, like I was saying earlier, we want to obsess with SMS. The company mission, which everyone at the company knows because we talk, we don't shut up about it, is that we want to make SMS the number one revenue channel for brands. And that is a, that is a high mountain to climb, right? That's pretty far away right now. Um, the reason we do that is that everyone focuses on trying to make that a reality. Because even if we fail, but we get like a quarter of the way there, it's really good for our customers. Yeah. And so because that's our mission, because we're focused on this versus any other channel, we're constantly like, how do we expand the surface area of SMS? Yeah. How do we find new ways to drive step function increases in the revenue a brand can see from it? And we try a lot of stuff. Just quietly behind the scenes, we're fucking around a lot. Yeah. And one of the things that is deep in our head is the fact that on average, roughly directionally, about for all the new subscribers that come in for a brand each month, 23% of them buy. On one hand, that's pretty good, right? Shows that the channel, like people who get on SMS are buying, that's cool. But on the other hand, if 77% don't, that's very like low funnel abandonment. Right? That's people that you've spent a bunch of money to bring to your site that have opted into their most personal device with their phone number, and then they've never purchased. And we thought, okay, if we can shift this even a couple of percent, that'll be really meaningful. And so uh, because you know we like to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset, we don't like to over-architect solutions, we firmly believe in like 80-20ing stuff and slowly trying to iterate your way to product market fit with anything. What we did is my, my co-founder, Colin, in exploration of this, he was like, okay, if we're gonna move this number, we need to find out why these people aren't buying. So he took a couple people and he flew to Nashville and in some random hotel in Nashville, they uh, partnered up with a brand, uh, with a customer of ours, Kalo, Kalo Rings, and they started texting people who hadn't purchased, but had recently signed up. And they were like, hey, it's the Kalo team. Just like curious, like why you didn't buy? And they started just literally asking questions. And what they found was super interesting. What they found was that people were interested in, in Kalo Rings, but they were hesitating to purchase based on all the same reasons that people in store hesitate to buy, mm. right? So if you go into a store, sometimes you go in and you buy on your own and you're cool, but sometimes you have questions, sometimes you need help with sizing or fit or assembling an outfit, or you have questions about ingredients or, or, or you know, return policy, whatever. And it's the job of a retail person to help you buy, help overcome those objections. And that's what we were getting back. People were asking questions about, well, I don't know how the ring fits on my finger. And well, is this size available? Or uh, what about this color, or this selection, right? Just shopping questions. Yeah. And Kalo has this very well-built, well-ramped SMS program that does really well for them. But it was still leaving all these like unconverted but interested people out there. And so right away we started this experiment and it's been going for over a year now where we started, we said, okay, well, what if we start talking to these people through these questions? And what if we adopt their automation strategy to elicit these conversations and these questions at the right moment? And so slowly we've, we started off, you know, using our responses tab that you mentioned, but over the last year, we've built a completely different software package that sits on top of PostScript that is built for live selling. It is, and that's why we call it SMS sales. It is taking specially trained retail associates, pairing them with this purpose-built software 
to radically increase conversions of the new SMS subscribers that come in. It's crazy. And so on one hand, it's kind of this like unsexy old school idea of like having humans in seat. It's not automated tech, but it's also taking this idea of that exists in B2B or that exists in retail of marketing drives revenue. Marketing also drives opportunities for salespeople to convert. And so that's what bore out the idea of sales. And um, we really went back to first principles with it. We've been investing a ton on the tech side. And uh, we now have, we're a remote company, we now have a e-commerce sales center in Phoenix where we hire, train, and staff these retail associates onto brands. And it's been working well. It's been adding substantial GMB to brands. Um, for the brands that we've had in our beta, we've seen between a 5 and 10% GMB lift. Wow. And it's essentially doubling people's SMS revenue. And it's different for every brand because every brand is different and this is selling for brands. But uh, it's a really interesting, compelling, early thing that we're pretty excited about. That's awesome. Um, we're super excited. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I'm excited to, to try it out with you guys. We've also learned some interesting stuff where like, because it's this new idea, at first we were like, we're gonna make software. Then we're like, no, this is a new job function, e-commerce sales. So we need to staff it ourselves for a while. So like, that's what we're focused on doing now is getting good at that. We're getting really good at like onboarding brands. Something we've started doing is every new brand that comes on, we just have to do a holdout test because they're like, prove to me that yeah. you're doing right. anything incremental yeah. as they yeah. should be. I mean, five yeah. to 10% is. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so they're like, they're like, cool pitch, prove it. And so we have to do holdout tests with every single new brand that comes on. Yeah. And we're seeing interesting stuff. We're seeing brands take learnings from this and apply it to their automated marketing approach. And we're just, we're, excited about the full-throated embrace of the sales concept versus this being outsourced support, right? Like every brand who uses this still needs a help desk, they still need a support team. We're just embracing the fact that if you hire someone for support versus if you hire someone to be a salesperson, they're gonna be really different. Mm. They're gonna be really different people. And so we're embracing that. So at the end of every episode, sure. um, we like to give the the viewers a quick uh, chew, right? Something to chew on. So. Out of this whole podcast, um, what is one thing you want viewers to take away from this? Um, yeah, something that you want. It's only one thing. Mm, only one thing, yeah. I bet, I bet everyone's like, okay, I got three. Uh, okay, yeah, you busted me. I was about to say two. Um, lean into unsexy moats. I sound like such a dumb influencer entrepreneur when I say that. But it's... Uh, Unsexy moats can be really, really valuable. That is like, that's been a huge insight over the last five years. Chew on that. Chew on that. If you want more from us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and check out the website, chewonthis.io.